You're listening to Words on your podcast, episode 140, Archaeological Thrillers, or the Importance of Being Ernest Dempsey. This episode of the Words on your podcast is brought to you by draft to digital Convert your manuscript, distribute it online, and get support the whole way at drafttodigital.com. It's the Word Slinger Podcast, where story matters. Build your brand, write your book, redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours? Now, here's the guy who invented pants optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. Word Slinger. Hey everybody, this is Kevin Thompson, the Word Slinger. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, you uh, you keep coming back. You're you're like a cat I fed. <laughs> so um, I uh, I recently was on another podcast. I was on the uh, this is a new show actually um, called. And let me just pull it up so that I don't get this wrong. Uh, it's a brand new show called Hybrid Author Podcast, and it's with uh, Rekka J and Brian Williamson. Um, you uh you might want to check this out. It's a cool if you go to hybridauthorpodcast.com. I am episode 17. Um it was a great interview. Um but in the conversation Rekka actually said that she went back and listened to the very first Wordslinger podcast episode and that she was impressed by the fact that uh my theme song and my intro had not changed uh from day 1, which was uh which was remarkable, and I agree. I agree. I've I've listened to a lot of podcasts, and there's there are always uh, these moments where they do a rebrand and that sort of thing. Uh, but you know, I felt like I have always felt like um, the uh, the vibe of this show was was perfectly set <laughs> with that intro. Um, it's exactly what I wanted, so uh, I've never, I've never dared change it. Um, but anyway, I, I, I don't hear about it much uh, these days. A lot of, a lot of people have in the past commented um, about my uh, theme song in particular. Um, so uh, I think people will dig it. <laughs> anyway, um, so anyway, uh, go check out that that podcast. It's it's new. I'd love to see it take off. They've, they've got a great look on the site. I love the uh, artwork and everything. Um, and I love the way they're doing it. Uh, it's 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 a good show. Check it out. I believe in hybrid publishing. Actually, I think that's the future of, of publishing. I think I think we will see uh, a move toward hybridization uh, as time goes by. Um, mostly because the tools for indie publishers are improving to the point where uh, the traditional publishing world would be insane not to start utilizing them themselves. And if you're going to do that, start pulling from this pool of highly talented and highly marketing savvy and business savvy authors. Um, and then everybody starts making a lot more money. You know, if you've got the muscle of the uh, traditional industry behind you and their resources behind you, plus uh, a smart, savvy um, author who knows how to do the marketing and knows how to network and knows how to, uh, you know, specifically tailor a, uh, a, a book slash product for their audience. Um, I mean, all these things coming together, man, it just makes sense. It, it's, it's insane to think that it's not going to become the future of the business. So check out that podcast. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes below so you can, uh, or show notes below. I'm sorry, I just got, I just got, I just finished doing the YouTube version of the show. So I'll put a link in the show notes 
of this episode, uh, which you can find at wordslingerpodcast.com. Now, um, my guest today is a guy I've, I've, I've had the privilege of sitting beside and uh, having some drinks with and having a, a lot of long conversations with. Um, he's, a, he's a hell of a guy. Uh, his name is Ernest Dempsey. Now, he is, uh, a, like me, an archaeological thriller author. Now, here's what's cool about that. The two of us were at Nink in Orlando this past year, and um, we were hanging out. And we were talking about our work, and we were describing it to each other. And we we're like, you know, there's just there, there has to be a term, there has to be a a, a subcategory for this kind of work. And uh, I think it was Ernest, actually, Ernie, who uh, who said um, they were archaeological thrillers. And I'm like, that's it, that's it. We're we're gonna coin that phrase. Well, we didn't coin that phrase because it's been around for a while, apparently. And uh, <laughs> Guys like Steve Barry and Dan Brown are uh, archaeological thriller authors, or considered such. Um, although uh, Steve Barry likes to refer to his work, I think, as international thriller authors, um, or international thrillers. Um, but w- it was profound to us, and we started using the term, and now uh, it, it perfectly fits our uh, our genre. So we talk about that in this interview. I think you're going to get a lot out of this one, uh, depending on uh, uh, your own career uh there's a lot in here really that i think is going to be useful uh not the least of which is you know arnie and i both share a similar perspective on marketing um and uh, i don't know i don't we don't really go into this as deep in this interview um but he and i have been batting ideas back and forth lately about you know being very personable with your audience uh and your readers uh in like emails and that sort of thing i've actually pulled back on a lot of my marketing, uh, on uh, I, I I don't run any ads right now at all. Well, I, I run some on uh, Amazon, um, but they're kind of running by default at this point. Um, I've been sort of dropping back to uh, baseline, uh, communicating with my my existing readers on my mailing list uh, in a much more personable way, getting fantastic results from that. Um, turns out, if you treat human beings like human beings. Uh, they like you better, and they want to do things to help you. <laughs> so the best marketing advice you're ever going to get <laughs> is to <laughs> treat other people well. Um, so that, all that said, let's um, let's hop into this interview. Now, after the interview, stick around. I've got some industry news. Um, some, some very cool stuff has happened. Man, there is an insane amount of cool crap happening in the indie publishing industry right now. It's insane. Um, so definitely stick around. Uh, you're going to want to hear these things. And uh, we'll do the housekeeping and all that stuff at the end as well. So uh, take care. Enjoy this interview with Ernie Dempsey. And I'll see you on the other side. Hey, everybody. This is, of course, Kevin Tomlinson. And I'm talking to a guy. I've met this cat at, at least once in uh, IRL, we'll say, uh, at Nink. Uh, this is Ernest Dempsey. Now, here's the deal. Ernest Dempsey, he's the author of the Sean Wyatt thrillers, and those are, as he pointed out, archaeological thrillers. Uh, let me turn off those alerts, by the way. But uh, now I've got, I've got Ernest to thank or blame, uh, depending on how you look at it, for <laughs> finally having a way to refer to my Dan Kotler thrillers, man. So I owe you big for that one, because uh, I've been banging my head against the table for 
for a good solid year now trying to figure out the best way to categorize that. So welcome to the show, man. First, Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm, tur- I'm, make- I'm actually turning my alerts off on my phone to make sure that I don't have. I know, yeah, I'm a cautionary <laughs> tale now. <laughs> it's usually on vibrate. I don't, it, well, it was off. I was just making sure. So yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, anyone listening, uh, that would <laughs> That was Johnny Andrews who just uh, dinged me. So you can you can go yell at him. Um, so man, uh, first of all, it was it was fantastic hanging out with you at Nick because uh, you and I are I think we're very like minded. Um, although you're more into sports than I am by far, I, I have no no serious love for sports. I wish I wasn't because all of my teams are terrible. <laughs> like, I mean from. From baseball to basketball, or I don't watch basketball, but yeah. baseball to football, and yeah, it's. Well, I, I did become a Houston Astros fan recently. Uh, mm, mm. <laughs> they made it that, easy on me. That was a great World Series. That was cool. I was and I was rooting hard for them. Uh, yeah. Apologies to my California fan base. But <laughs> I uh, man, it was great to see, and and the city of Houston needed that. But it was also, you know, the, I I don't like to see franchises go so long without getting a title. No kidding. All of my franchises do that. So right, right. <laughs> I mean, from the beginning of time, basically, was the wait. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, the thing is, my wife and I—we both love baseball. We'll watch baseball. Uh, that's one of the few sports that we're kind of we get sort of gung ho about. And so we were actually uh, traveling during the final like two games of the of the oh, series, yeah. watching it in like random bars. At, you know, uh, all across Colorado Springs and that sort of thing. So it was, there's an extra veneer of awesome associated with it now because, yeah. you know, we were celebrating. It was the weirdest thing to be in a completely different ecosystem and people are rooting for our home team, you know? So yeah, yeah. It makes you feel appreciated, man. So uh, yeah. aside from sports, uh, you, you have a healthy interest in archaeological thrillers, I'm told. Uh, <laughs> why don't you tell me a little bit about the uh, Sean Wyatt thrillers, man? Um, well, what what would you like to know? You know, I'm reading my first one now, the very first one. The introductory book for me is is your latest book. The first book? No, no, no. I'm I'm reading your your most current one, the one that you just oh, the, oh, the newest one. So you just you dove in with book fourteen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is so that you, bad? Should I jump? No, no, no. It's fine. So are you finding your way around? Okay, like with the so characters far. in the world and everything. Yeah, so far, so good. I've I've barely scratched the surface on it, but uh, uh, yeah, so far, man. I, I don't well, want to stab you or anything. It's the- no, you're good. So um, the Sean Wyatt archaeological thrillers are um, they're they're a series I came up with. I don't know, two thousand six, two thousand seven, something like that. And yeah. um, the first idea came from uh, a place I visited in Northwest Georgia called Fort Mountain State Park. And I'd been going there on picnics and stuff since I was a kid. Right. But I hadn't been there in years. And then around like 2000, I don't know, six or seven, we, I went there on a picnic with uh, the girl I was dating and my, my cousins and, um, and my cousin and his family and um, we're walking around. And that was the first time I'd been there as an adult. And I started reading the, the historical placards that they had mm-hmm. on, on the site. And, um, there's this ancient wall that's there and they, nobody knows who put it there. They don't know why it's there. It's not a circular wall. So it's not a defensive like military style wall. It's linear. It, it kind of, you know, undulates, looks like a snake sort of. And there's all these giant pits um, on one side of it, like every, every so often. And they're not spaced out evenly, but uh, I was, uh, 
I was like, man, this is fascinating. Like I never realized I've been coming there my whole life. And, um, and it was, it was just, like, nobody knew why it was there and who built it. <laughs> I was right, like, that right. sounds like a great plot device for a story. Yeah. So, um, I had enjoyed, uh, reading Clive Cussler a lot in, um, in college. I, I, I used to read a lot of fantasy stories in high school and, mm-hmm. and before high school and, uh, read, I read a lot of the Dragonlance Chronicles and stuff like that. And then, uh, but I got into history when I was in high school and, um, one of my teachers, Mr. Pinnell, really turned me on to, to history. And so um, I started reading things that were skewed that way, especially when I got to college. And that's how I found like, Kussler and those guys. And so right. I thought, man, I, I would love to write a story about this mystery. And so I came up with the characters and um, built the fictional uh, International Archaeological Agency. I couldn't come up with a better name than that. And so... Uh, I even, I think I crack a few jokes in a, in a couple of the books about how the name needs to change because that's such a mouthful. Right. And, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, Kessler's got like Numa and he's got that whole thing. And, right, right. Um, this is not marine based and I'm definitely not ripping his idea off, but um, it's, but I wanted to do something similar because I just thought it was a cool idea. And so uh, I created these characters and they, travel the world salvaging stuff and sometimes you know finding themselves in trouble and uh and you know deep and finding themselves in deep mysteries and things like that so that's how it came about but the the first book was certainly like it was definitely plot driven like it was um and you know the experts say don't do that do character driven stories but uh yeah it seemed to work out okay and now i really focus hard on the characters so oh really you change, yeah. you kind of change the approach then. Yeah. So what I do is I, I find the plot device I want to use. Mm-hmm. And, um, the next one, the, the next Sean Wyatt book, which will be out in probably late winter, um, is, uh, is going to be a Templar story. Cause I've, I've been putting that off for a while. I wanted to make yeah. sure I did it right. Everybody every, does. Every thriller writer has to write something about the, the Knights Templar. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had lots of readers <laughs> asking me to do it. I'm like, I've been waiting cause everybody's done that and I want to make sure I do something special. So, um, I'm researching that a little bit, but what I do now is I find the device like, okay, Knights Templar. And then, I create the characters behind um, up. I do that up front and I, and I really dive in and try to get to know them. And I didn't, I didn't want to do that originally because I was lazy. Right. It seemed like a lot of work, but now it's like, I like doing it that way and it makes the story so much richer and more fun to write. So I don't know if I answered your question. You did too. You totally did. You totally did. Uh, You, uh, well, okay. So you're, you're, the first book was inspired by essentially a trip, right? Yep. So what, what about the, uh, the, uh, subsequent books? Like what, where are you taking your inspiration? Where are you finding the stories? Yeah. So, uh, that is a good question. Well, so just to touch on my characters really quick, forgot to do that. My, my characters are, um, you know, Sean White's the main character, but his sidekick is almost like a co-main character, Tommy Schultz. Um, I really liked how Clive did the the character. You know, they had the, him and his best friend, Dirk Pitt and his best friend, um, right. Al Giardino, or, or, you know, they're they're always in trouble together. So I really liked that. So I wanted to do that. Sean's a former government agent, and um, he wanted to get out of the game. He was working for an extrajudicial 
agency called Axis, and um, Tommy, uh, he, he went to, he decided to, you know, start working with his friend Tommy, and that's how they became, they, they got into the, all this mischief together. Um, but as far as where it's go, um, like, how do I find stuff? Uh, yeah, so sometimes it comes from, like, places I've been. So I, I was fortunate enough to travel um, a little bit when I was um, in high school and in college, and then a little bit after that as well. So sometimes uh, what I write stories about are places that I have been physically. Right. And then uh, sometimes I write, sometimes I have to find stuff. So I have to, I go out on the internet and I start looking for mysteries. But usually what happens is I just, I just keep an eye on the magazine rack at Barnes and Noble. And um, I, I look at things. In fact, I just bought, I posted this on my author fan page. It's not lying around here. I don't think, oh, it might be in my bag. Um, so this is, but this is why this is important, you know, so you right, keep yeah. an eye on the stuff that you, you know, on, on the internet that comes through your newsfeed or whatever. Sometimes I do active searching for, you know, current things in, in the world of history and archeology. span And by the way, you know, I, I'm no archeologist. I'm not an expert at, you know, you know, detailing little mm-hmm. bits of rock and dirt and stuff like that. So when it's, you know, when it's called an archaeological thriller, it's, it's real heavy on the thriller and medium on the archaeology because I, <laughs> right. nobody, nobody's right. going to uh, read a book to like about, you know, somebody who was sitting in a dig site for eight hours in the hot sun brushing a rock for, you know, that whole time. So <laughs> that there's maybe I'm minimizing that. And I apologize to the archaeologists. They're out. They're gonna, I'm going to get so much hate mail from that. That's not it. You do an amazing job and I appreciate it, but <laughs> <laughs> you got to have some gunfights and some action scenes. Right. So, um, so anyway, this is how this, I found this, uh, yeah. when I was on vacation, right. This is a history channel magazine. And I don't know if that's just a barcode, but you can see hundred greatest mysteries. Right. And I was like, Oh, there's my next hundred books. And then I was <laughs> written about like 10 of those things. So, there's my next 90 books. Here's what's funny. <laughs> I, own, I own that exact magazine yeah. <laughs> and bought it for the exact same reason. I also picked up while I was uh, on the same trip, a, uh, a coffee table book called Mi- Mysteries of History uh, yes. that has a ton of, of quirky little historic facts about, about history. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I actually, one of the I meant to, I meant to have this on hand and I don't see it laying around, but it was a book that belonged to my grandparents. Mm-hmm. And, um, when, when they passed, we, you know, we went through, um, when my grandfather passed, we went through the house and found, you know, things you want to keep or sell or what. And I, and I was little and I saw that book and it was like seven ancient mysteries of the world or something like that. And I was like, oh, I gotta keep this. So yeah, anytime I see anything like this and for those listening, and not watching the video, I'm holding up a History Channel magazine that's the 100 Greatest Mysteries, The World's Secrets Revealed. So um, I love to look through stuff like that, whether it's physical or online. And I find things that I think are super cool. And then I write about them. Now I've got a readership that emails me ideas. So <laughs> right. they'll, they're like, hey, have you seen this? And they'll send me a link to an article or something. So now I don't yeah. even have to 
which I, I consider that safer. Uh, but yeah. I, I've, I've had to start discouraging readers from, from basically pitching to me right. because, you know, no one wants to be sued. And I, I don't, you know, if no. I'm already, I've actually literally had readers send me ideas that I was already writing about. So yeah. I had to really quickly backtrack. <laughs> yeah. I can't take it. But if they'll send you articles or something, I'm all about that. I love when people tag me on stuff like that. Yeah, they don't send the ideas as much. Uh, that happened a few times, but it's mostly been like articles to like a, a something that was found recently might have might be in you know some historical website or you know, article or something like that. So right, yeah, right. that's those. That's always cool to get those. I I. I keep counseling people to go write their book, man. That's a great idea. You should go write that book. And yes, that will either shut them up or get them very excited. So, and yeah. I would prefer they get really excited and go write the book. <laughs> I would totally read that book if you wrote it. Yes. Uh, so you're okay. So we're very similar in that. I mean, we go okay. and hunt down. Yeah. Uh, that's probably, I don't know, man, I've talked to a whole, a whole bunch of other thriller authors and that's not necessarily what they do, but I think, uh, the archaeological thrillers, um, it kind of lends itself to that. Like you, you just came across some quirky fact of history. Yeah. You know, the, um, the other stuff that's, you know, like a spy thriller or, um, you know, any, any other kind of thrillers, uh, requires, and I'm, again, I'm not bashing it cause I write some of those too. I write them much faster. Yeah. They require almost no research. You just have to know your guns and your geography and um, have sort of a, a semblance of an idea of how government works, which is um, it doesn't. But um, <laughs> but the uh, no, but the yeah, you, you just and then you just sit down and go um, with these. It takes it just depends on the size of the novel. But sometimes maybe I'm fielding a future question, but it usually takes like 20 to 100 hours worth of research to get it right. Yeah, um, with these and and what I do is start early with, I start with a bunch of re research up front and then um, it's kind of an ongoing thing. Like I'll have to ch fact check stuff as I go. But so how do you do the the actual research? So you get the idea from a magazine or some other source, and then you go do some actual research. Like how do you typically handle that? Well, since I have a two and a half year old, I don't get to travel around like Dan Brown. So. Uh, it's, I can't, I can't be jet setting man. off to Hong Kong. It's just and, excuses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't and spend four, four years in Spain to, to yeah. writing your next book. Yes. I, I did not spend four years in a Tibetan monastery fasting and eating nothing but grass and meditating all day long to learn the true ways of the, the monks there. <laughs> um, no, I basically what I, people, a lot of readers ask me this and um, I, I always tell them the same thing. So it's my research comes from a couple places. One, I used to read a lot of historical books. So it comes from memory from that. Some of it, some of it comes from internet research, which right. has been wonderful. It's, it's been very cool to be able to do that. And, uh, and, and the internet speeds up the process for sure. And then the other thing, the main, I do travel a little bit to, especially to some of the United States locations. So mm -hmm. that's easy enough. But the biggest thing is that um, when I do get to take a trip, um, whether it was a long time ago, like 1994, when I first went to Germany and Italy and Switzerland and Austria, or if it was just last year when I went on a fishing trip to Alaska, I always pay attention. I pay attention to everything. Right. So 
Um, and I, I take lots of, I don't take as many pictures now as I did back then. Um, now I just really try to remember stuff. Right. So, um, and that's actually a lot of my stuff details about locations come from past travels and past experiences. So that enables me to write the people a little better, the atmosphere, um, you know, the smells of the, like the smell of the air and that sort of thing. And, um, I also talk the other, there's another component to the research, which is I talk to people. So mm -hmm. I have a lot of readers now and they're more than happy to share experiences from their lives. Um, and, and, you know, tell me little stories about places they went. And when they offer those, I ask for more details. So um, I spoke to this one girl who went on a mission trip to Uganda a few years ago with the invisible children. Thing, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, to take down Coney and whatever to, to help out with that. And um, I asked her, I said, so what was it like? And she said, it was amazing. It was, it was an amazing experience. And, um, it was it was just so cool and i was like that doesn't help me out like i want to know how is the food was the food terrible <laughs> was it salty was it sweet was right. it bland did you eat roaches did you eat like beef or did you eat like just lettuce and rice every day what did the air smell like did it smell like sewage all the time or was it dry and clean or was it kind of humid like i want to know what that is don't tell me it was an amazing life experience i already that that's a given Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You're looking for the meat, the details. Yes. So I always ask for details like that when people tell me stuff because I want to know so that I can share going forward. And so even though I haven't traveled to Africa um, in any part of Africa, my stories go from Morocco to Egypt to Chad down, I think maybe even to the Sudan. Yeah. One of them goes to Sudan. I've never been there, but I can write those places pretty effectively because I pay attention to when, you know, the details when pe from people who have been there. Right. So would you say, so are you, you're taking in all the sensory information. I mean, are you, are you able to convey like the feeling of the place? Is that sort of the vibe that you get when you're there or what? Yeah, feel, feeling is difficult for me because I'm um, I'm a cyborg, so I don't actually have feelings. I'm artificial you, intelligence. I have, I have a mechanical heart. I literally. But, but that's how I memorize everything. People yeah. are like, "Is it an eidetic memory?" I'm like, "No, I'm a robot." No, um, the feelings. Yeah, it is. It is easier, especially with people who are from a place, you know, yeah. and are, have a have a real emotional attachment. So I wrote. Uh, I've never been to Istanbul, but I wrote a couple of scenes in, in two different books that took place in, in Istanbul. And I was able to do that effectively because I have a friend that's from there. And so from talking to her, just not even like trying to get research out of her, just chatting about her hometown. Right. One night over coffee, she like, I was able to glean a lot of good info about that city and that the people and all that stuff. So I, I throw that in there and, you make a good case for for just taking the time to connect to other people uh, yeah. and just have conversations. Open, you're listening more than talking kind of conversation. Yeah. Which yeah, and if you hang out with me at a tailgate, you'll find that that's the opposite of what I do. I uh, if I, if you come to a football tailgate in Atlanta or a, a soccer tailgate in Chattanooga or something, you'll I will not shut up. I yeah, talk to yeah, you. I'm the same way. But, <laughs> but, but in a different setting, I will, yeah. 
in, in between talking too much, I try to listen a lot and, and try to learn as much as I can about people and where they're from and all that. So, yeah, that's uh, I think that's a valuable skill for, for authors, man. I mean, yeah, I, I wish I had developed that a little better. Maybe I <laughs> well, you know, the other thing is, is that uh, people like to feel important and they like to feel like you, you give a crap about what they're talking about. And, um, and, and that's important. Like you, and you should care what they're talking about. Like you should care who you're talking about, who you're talking to and what they've been through in life and all that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, I, I have that, um, that empathy built in or that, that caring built in already. So, um, I always find it really fascinating to meet new people. That's one reason I love going to conferences and hanging out with people like you and other people is, you know, getting to, I'm, it's funny because I, I'm, my instincts are to stay hold up here in my house and work alone like an introvert, but right. I also there's a calling inside to get out there and meet folks and learn more about their worlds and their lives and their path and all that. But right, right. yeah, but, but to your question I just remembered this, I, um, I was on a vacation in like 2012 down in South Carolina and we stayed at this amazing resort and, uh, my uh, my wife was there for a conference, so we didn't have to we didn't have to pay for that, which was cool. Those are the best. But uh, those are the best, and it was an amazing resort. But when I got there, I was like, I'm going to include this place in a story one day. But it wasn't for like three more years. I included it, but I took pictures and I took a lot of mental pictures. I talked to the workers and stuff, and I just you know from what I learned, I, like three years later, I wrote a book that included that. And, uh, or maybe two years later, I included it in that story. And yeah, so always pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. Always pay attention. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, I think I spend half anytime we travel. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've been traveling for the past three or four months now. Um, yeah. I'm finally home, but, uh, anytime I'm, I'm out and about in the world, I, I don't necessarily take notes and maybe I should, but I don't, I've never, never felt the need to per se, because I just, you know, sort of absorb the vibe of the place. Uh, although Facebook has become kind of my go-to note-taking device now. <laughs> yeah. Because I post everything. <laughs> yeah. I get that. <clears throat> yeah. So, you, okay, you, you've you got, there's 14 books in your, in your Sean Wyatt thrillers right now, right? 14 in the, cano- the, the canonical series. And then there's uh there's a spinoff trilogy and, there's two little short novellas um, that I give away to my readers when they subscribe along with a couple of other full length books. But uh, there's, there's a spinoff trilogy and then there's um, there's going to be a new spinoff series for, um, for that character that already had the spinoff. There's going to be a whole new series for her. And then there's going to be two other spinoffs that I can think of right now. And, um, did that alert just um, go off? I didn't hear a thing. Okay, good. Because it popped up and I heard it you, in this. You could have snuck by with nothing. You could have okay. gotten by with a completely unnoticed. Right. How does a, a spinoff trilogy work? What did you do? You uh, you took one of the characters and yeah, like, so, secondary characters? Yeah, so Adriana Villa, is, uh, she's a Spanish. Uh, she's she's born in, out, out, just outside in the countryside of, uh, just outside of Madrid in the countryside yeah. of Spain. And uh, her father was um, sort of a, an intel mercenary. So he was an expert at getting information 
um, mm -hmm. difficult to get information and helped the U.S. government quite a bit, along with the allies of the United States government. And for years he did that, but then he's, he's gone into hiding since then. But his daughter, um, they, their family was wealthy. They owned, uh, you know, coffee farms and vineyards and things like that. And as a result, um, they have plenty of money. And so Adriana, leaned towards a life of adventure mm -hmm. and so after she got done at college with college and all that um she she became very interested with um the missing artwork from world war ii so um the monuments men stuff was right. uh, is you know all that's very true all that stuff happened the nazis took a lot of art and stole art from galleries and private you know private exhibits in people's homes and things like that. And so sort of her mission is to um, locate the missing, the, you know, the art that's missing as much of it as she can and return it either to the proper heirs or the governments from which it was stolen. And so as a result of that, she ends up in a lot of, uh, a lot of mysteries, a lot of adventures of her own. And so the spinoff trilogy that I did involves her and another character that were, that appeared in the first novel that I wrote and she was also a thief and these two the the spin-off trilogy is called war of thieves and essentially um trying to think if I'm giving spoilers I don't think yeah. so it's been a while since I wrote that book right so um but yeah they are pitted against one another by this group called the syndicate that is uh, this group this collection of ultra billionaires and essentially they just like to manipulate people for their own entertainment. Mm -hmm. And so they pit these two against each other to find the series of paintings that went missing. And so it's, uh, it's sort of like most dangerous game meets monuments men. That's the right. best way I could uh, describe it. And so, um, th that's how that, that spinoff trilogy goes. But the new spinoff series involves her, um, and a new extrajudicial agency called the Shadow Cell. That's uh, it's the, the main purpose of it is to um, rid the world of terrorists. So, okay, I can give. So a, they, yeah, yeah. And so I'm not going to give this away, but one of the characters from the rest of the stories um, is not in charge of this agency, but she's big in it, and um, everybody always asked me, you know, what's the deal with this character? Right. You know, there's something more to this person. And I'm like, yes, there is. Don't worry about it. You'll find out in 2018 <laughs> so, or late 2017. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Relax so there's that. Yeah. So that's going to be a series of spy thrillers. They're shorter books. They're going to be you know, like 125 pages, 150 pages a piece. And um, some of them might be 200 pages, but that's, that's the main spinoff for that. And then there's some other characters in the world that um, are going to get their own spinoff series that are going to be focused on the history stuff. And then I'm working on another series called the adventure guild, which is um, a series for kids. And I'm co-writing that with my ninth grade cousin. Oh, really? That's cool. He's that's, that's interesting. Chandler's getting after it. Like I, uh, I started writing in high school, but I never finished anything. He's already finished like three or four stories. Wow. And these are like 80 page stories to hundred page stories. 
Like find me a ninth grader that's written 50 pages of anything. Exactly. I had never did that. So <laughs> he's got some really cool ideas. He's, um, he really likes superhero stories. So he's focusing on that. But the Adventure Guild is uh, a group of middle school kids who do Indiana Jones type stuff. So it's archaeological thrillers for kids. Yeah, I get that. Way to so, bring it back around. <laughs> way to way to give back man pay it there, that's it <laughs> man okay that's that's pretty cool i uh i do appreciate that that's like a mentorship kind of thing that's uh <laughs> that's pretty remarkable yeah no one, oh yeah no kids in my sphere would do that i mean i have some very talented kids uh related to me but they they wouldn't want to work with me on anything they would just go to it and probably surpass me in the process. So. Yeah. Chandler's cool, man. And he, he, uh, he works really hard at it. He's, um, he's away at a boarding Academy now about 30 minutes South of Chattanooga, maybe 45 minutes South of Chattanooga. But, um, so I don't, uh, I don't get to, we, in the summers we meet up a lot and we do a lot of storyboarding and stuff like that. Um, we did that this last summer before he left for school, but yeah. we started working on this project together when he was in eighth grade. And, uh, he had, so, he has a lot of good ideas for it. And so, um, when I finished the draft that like I'm working on the first story now. So when I finish the rough draft, I'll send it to him and see what he thinks and have him make corrections and things. And then we'll edit and all that. But yeah, wow. my wow. first collaboration product project is with, uh, family. So. Yeah, man, you're breaking all the rules. You're working with kids, working with family. Well, I told him. Well, I told him. I said, "Channel," because uh, he was asking me for like his his mom asked me for tips, you know, and advice. And I said, "Forget advice. I'll show him exactly what he needs to do, and I'll work with him on it." And so, uh, I sat down. The first time I sat down with him, I said, "I hope that he does a podcast someday." An, an interview with somebody and remembers this, but I said to him, which would you rather do in high school? Would you rather like get a part-time job like your dad and I did, or would you like to write books and, and you know, that's how you supplement your income while you're in school. And he's Man. like, I'd rather write books. And I'm like, exactly. Dude, that's the so. most awesome story I have ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, see you guys. You've been a wonderful That's audience. That's it. Mic Talk drop. We're out. <laughs> Dang. Okay. Um, you are uh, you're a USA Today bestseller. Yeah. Is that a just a completely recent event, or had you been one before this recent? No, it's totally recent. Yeah, that just happened in October. So. And you you were very intentional about it. I remember you talking to me about it. Like you're yeah, going right. to do this. I'm going to make this happen. You made it happen. What was yep. what did you end up having to do? What did it take to hit the list? Yeah, so I mean, it's all I've heard different things about. Um, you know, the the New York Times list and the USA Today list. They're both curated lists, from what I understand. Right. Uh, so you can sell enough copies to make New York Times, and then the editor can decide to not put you in there because uh, they want another book in there. Right. From what I understand, USA Today is not as bad about that, but. Um, you just got to sell a lot of books. And, um, I had a book feature for a book I released last year. And so I thought, okay, this is a perfect chance to leverage this and see if I can get there because I knew I would need, you know, ballpark, like 6,000 books sold that week of that book to, um, to hit the list. And, mm -hmm. 
So I knew that a BookBub featured deal was good for at least 2,500, um, you know, at least 2,000 on one day and maybe five or 600 on another day. Right. So, and then I knew the visibility would carry it a little bit, you know, for, you know, several hundred more. So I figured with that, I'm already halfway there. I'd be doing myself a disservice if I didn't do a big campaign push to try to hit that list. So, um, so I did it and I, I, I ran a bunch of, a, a, a bunch of advertising on BookBub CPM ads and, um, and Facebook advertising and, yeah, I moved to like 8,000 books globally and I think a little over 6,000 uh, in the USA, which is what matters to USA Today. They don't count the other stuff. It's That's all within just, just the first week? That's just that week. Just that week. Yeah. It goes from Monday to Sunday night. It, it, they, so. must, they must be looking though at um, – you, you need to be wide in order to do this, I think, because I know plenty of people who do more than 6,000 a week on a release for um, – like KU, but yeah, well, it depends, right? So I don't think they count borrows, and I don't right. think that they. Uh, and I again, I don't know. There's like there's people that are in the know mm-hmm. more than me. I know like Cheryl Bradshaw and Diane Capri know way more about that stuff than I do, and they're right. um, and they, by the way, were extremely helpful for me when I was uh, trying to make that push and and having dinner with them and at, at Nink really. Right. Like it was a, it was a big, I, I love Diane. she's, she's one of my favorite people. <laughs> They're awesome. And it's so funny that I was great that I got to meet her because, uh, I'd been interacting with her online for so long and, and yeah. uh, never actually sat down and chatted with her in person and never even seen her in person. So that was cool. But yeah, so the, the, the issue with hitting that list really has more to do with timing than anything else. So mm-hmm. some weeks, like if you try to hit that list in February, it might take 5,000 units instead of six. And if you try or like right now, as of the recording of this, you know, like a week before Thanksgiving, you'd probably have to move seven to seven and a half thousand units in the USA to hit that list because right. the competition is so much higher. Right. So, um, so you're saying do it in the dead of summer is the better way to go. <laughs> do it in the, do it. Uh, I did it. I, my timing was great because it was the, and it was totally by accident. But um, I was just lucky. The, the BookBub feature I had was a week before most of the traditional publishers released their, their right, Christmas right. stock um, or their late fall stock. And so the next week, uh, what I, the, the, I mean, what, one week later, the volume I moved probably wouldn't have done it. So, yeah. But, you know, the other thing, too, um, on top of the market, this is what's crazy. Like, I didn't do any... I didn't do anything with other authors. So I didn't ask them, you know, if they would help out and reach out to their readers that might like my stuff. I didn't, I don't like doing, I don't like bothering people about that. Um, if somebody emails me and asks me to do that, I'll, I'll take a look at their books and if it fits, you know, what my readers like, then I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. Um, but you know, like I know you and uh, Jack Patterson and, some other guys that you know, that are like me, we don't use all, we don't use, I don't use any profanity in my stories. Right. And, um, and you Very guys are little, I maybe have a yeah. little here and there, but that's, yeah. And there's not, there's no sex and stuff like that. And so, right. um, I'm happy to promote other authors who have stories, um, along those lines, even if they aren't archeological thrillers, if they're spy stories or whatever. Yeah, right. that's right. I, I just drop it in there. 
<laughs> dropping it in there. I think it's going to be a drinking game now. Or yeah. <laughs> every I'm just waiting. Archaeological thriller. Uh, I'm waiting for Barnes and Amazon and Apple to put the category up. I don't know what's the what the That needs to be its own bicep category, man. That's right. When you got guys like you, know, you got Cussler, you got Dan Brown, you got a whole bunch of people out there writing that genre. I mean, and selling, you know, mega hitting mega lists and stuff. I mean, come oh, on, yeah. that needs to be its own bicep category. How it's not is uh, nobody's thought of it. Who like, do we lobby? Who do we approach? We need to find the governing body of the bicep. I've never had an original idea before, so I, I have no idea. Like this is the first time. <laughs> well, and it's funny because as soon as you said that, we were at Nink. As soon as you said that, I'm like, "Holy crap! That's exactly what it is." <laughs> and then I'm like, "We've no one has ever thought of this before." And then I go online and I look, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, everybody's thought of it." It's it's everywhere. There's everybody who writes anything remotely like what we write puts it in archaeological thriller. Do so, they really? Yeah, we just Thank we just completely missed it. We just completely missed it. But that's yeah. okay. <laughs> it it so, means no, it works. <laughs> so I'm still looking for my original idea. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> one day, one day your your ship will come in. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> it's gonna have one crate. But uh, it'll be there. One crate. That's it. <laughs> One crate. Well, you know what um, they say. Ideas are a dime a dozen, but execution is everything. So. Yeah, man. And I, I had this conversation with someone recently uh, that, and I forget who it was. Maybe it was you. Uh, we were talking about how, you know, or no, actually, I think I was, I think it was, it comes from uh, Dan Brown's latest uh, origin, talking uh, about the fact that anyone can have the idea and uh, it's, it's, it really is all about the execution, uh, but it's not just the execution either. It's, it's individual taste, individual style can influence the impact of that idea, you know? So mm -hmm. nothing we write about really is all that original. I mean, I wrote a book about finding Atlantis and yeah. uh, there's nothing original about that as an idea, uh, right. but I made it original with, by adding other elements. So Yes. There. <laughs> and I haven't read that yet, but I'm really interested in doing it because um, I'm fascinated about like Atlantis and all that. Like, I think that um, it's a cool, what would you call it? A plot. I don't know if it's a plot device, but yeah, I mean, um, the, the whole Atlantis thing is so fascinating. I mean, yeah, I grew up. That was a, a whole pressing story. I mean, you know, yes. it has been for thousands of years. But I mean, there's yep. nothing remarkable about that. But, you know, that was one of those stories like you talked about earlier that just I, I, I you want to know so bad what the truth is <laughs> that you probably mull over a thousand possibilities. I could write a hundred books about the discovery of Atlantis and every one of them would have a different plot. So, yeah. Well, maybe I should. <laughs> my theory on uh, on Atlantis, and I'm sure this isn't an original idea either. But uh, as a creationist, I I often uh, get into discussions with people who don't believe in a creator or creation right. uh, creation theory, which is funny because it's just as valid a theory as evolution. Right. But um, I get into discussions about that, and they're like, "For oh, okay, so you believe in the flood story? Yeah." You believe that there's an, somewhere in this world, there's enough water to cover Mount Everest. And my answer is no. The water is still there. Like, yeah. like whatever civilizations were destroyed, 
I think are still underwater. Yeah. And I think that the water's receded. And there's why does every culture have a flood story? Every, every culture. Every culture. Yeah. And people are like, people, they, they, the naysayers are like, well, you know, word travels fast. No, it doesn't. But it, it, there, there are completely disconnected cultures that have yeah, flood stories. Not since Pangea. Right. Like, and you can say, well, people traveled. Yeah, I do believe that there was intercontinental you know, boat travel before we even imagined, before Columbus right. and before all that. I do believe that. But it's like you cannot tell me that Incans up on the top of Machu Picchu and people in Japan have the same sim- – they have similar stories. Right. The cultures are vastly different. There's right. no way they were communicating and they, it's not a shared thing. Like they, these people all experienced the same thing. Well, if they were communicating, that's a whole other story to tell. Like that's a, right. <laughs> there's something else there, man. Yeah. Yeah. But I, that's my theory about Atlantis is that it was a, a great civilization that, that was, that's, it's still underwater and maybe it, maybe it happened pre, maybe it was there pre-flood and that's where the legends came from, or maybe it was post-flood. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but, uh, well, you've heard, uh, you, did you hear about the, uh, they discovered a, a, a lost underwater city like off the coast of Australia that's been kind of right there under everyone's nose for. I want to say I saw that article come through my, somebody sent it to me, I think, one of my you, readers. You, if you're not already, you need to subscribe to Atlas Obscura on online. Hold I need on. to buy the book. The book is amazing. Uh, I'm putting it on my phone. I'm making a note. You totally Atlas. need to do it. <laughs> Obscura. And now I have to put it in the mentions of the show. Damn it. I hate when I mention things. Obscura. <laughs> Hold on everybody while we while we both go and add. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm working while I'm doing the interview. I'm, I'm Man, that's what, it never stops, dude. It never stops. Well, right. you know, there's so much there's so much we don't know about the ancient world and it's crazy because the world's getting smaller all the time and we keep we keep finding this stuff um you know, like, uh, what is it, uh, Golecki Tempe or whatever in Turkey? Uh-huh. You know, that's yeah. they're they're saying that that civilization was ten or eleven thousand years old. There's Aboriginal stuff that's like forty thousand years old, and there's, um, you know, there's they found those giant. Have you seen the giant underwater stones they found off the coast of Japan? Like those right. those things are clearly shaped and angled, and they're massive. There's the Bimini Road down uh down the caribbean there's right. i mean there's oh i guess it's off the coast of florida maybe but like or bahamas i don't remember but it's incredible all the stuff we don't know uh about the ancient world and the antediluvian world and all that stuff and i'm just glad that people like you write archaeological thrillers to <laughs> delve into those possibilities. Back at you, brother. That's what. Uh, <laughs> that's why we're here. We're here to keep each other entertained and distracted yes. uh, while the rest of the world goes on with their their silly little uh, political wars. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, all right, man. Well, we're, we're at time. Um, oh, wow. That went fast. I know, man. That's the way it goes when, you ha- when you're having fun. They, yeah. they, they go very quickly. Did um, you get all your questions asked? And- man, I never have questions in advance. I should, okay. have told you, I should have said something about that when we started. I make, no, this up. Okay. I make everything up. I'm a complete pantser in everything I do. I, di- I did mean to ask you if you're a plotter or a pantser, though. You're clearly uh, but, a plotter. 
both. So I, I do what I call a story. I do a scene map or a story map at the beginning. So I, I write the end. I write what I want to happen at the end. Mm -hmm. And then um, <clears throat> sometimes I don't do that, but usually I write what happens at the end and then I know where I'm going. And then um, I work in Scrivener. So I just go in and <clears throat> I put chapter by chapter a very, like a one line synopsis of what happens in every chapter. Uh -huh. And um, that's kind of how I storyboard it. And that's, that's about the extent of my outline. I do about 2000 to 3000 words of brainstorming um, in my research section of Scrivener so that I, I have a, a, I have a good sense of what's going on and the characters I'll, I'll write, you know, several paragraphs about each character and that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. The new characters, the old ones, I don't need to do that, but yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like sort of pants, but when I, when I do a good outline, I can write so much faster. Yeah. So. I could see it. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I've tried, I've tried to do the outlining thing. I, uh, yeah. I did have to finally break down and start keeping. Um, and I, I, I've tried all the various software packages to do this and nothing yeah. makes me happy, but I, I keep an Apple note for, uh, with a list of all the characters in my Dan Kotler series. Any, any series I write or any books I write, I, I create a note and I have all the characters and I basically have like one or two paragraphs next to each name that says, here's, here's everything, all the important Whoa. stuff about that character. So yeah. no bios, no photos. I don't have any of that stuff. And, and you, and you, and you do um, sci-fi as well. You said, yeah, although I've, I've kind I missed of that when we were talking about it. Yeah, yeah. So I think I screwed you over and did not mean to. Wow. <laughs> you said you were kind enough to send something out for me uh, uh, promoting one of my thrillers, and I, I didn't tell you that it was in KU right now. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. No, that's okay. So, yeah, no, it's fine. I said, yeah, I recommended your books to my readers, and, um, and I got some emails back from the Nook people. Well, like, and here's the deal. They, they, they didn't, they were read on Nook. How can I get this book? And so I was, I they said, tell oh, reach I out to me. Yeah. Tell yeah. Yeah. Out. So tell them to reach out to you. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll help them out. So right, cool. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I, I, I firmly, I'm a big believer in don't give advice. You're not willing to follow. Right. Yeah. So I have always advised people that the best way to use Kindle unlimited, if you're going to use it at all is right at the beginning, build yeah. a platform with it. Uh, you know, get, get some money going, get some, get some buzz going, you know, get some reviews going. Amazon yep. reviews are very helpful even on other platforms. So sure. I used, um, for this this series right now, it's, there are three books and a, and a novella in that series. It's pretty new. So as I'm mm. writing more books, I'm, I'm dropping it in KU and then I've got a, a strategy that's based essentially on when I'm already there. Honestly, I'm, I'm considering moving everything wide again, but yeah. uh, once the, the actual sales outnumber the page reads and I'm getting more royalty from sales, then I can start uh, you know, the strategy is to move outward. So, and probably just a book or two at a time. Uh, but anyway, I was going to, yeah. I'm aiming for like, 10 or 12 books before I do that. So, okay. I didn't mean to screw you over. <laughs> you didn't screw me over at all. No, it didn't screw me over. I, I was just, uh, no, I, I got it. I knew I was going to get a, when I realized it, I knew I was going to get emails from my, my Apple and my, uh, Nook and Kobo readers, but yeah, it, what would be the best way, uh, is, or, or do you want me to send, you want to send me that in a private? Yeah, we'll or, talk. 
Okay, we'll talk off, <laughs> off the record about how those people should contact. It, let's just say this. I, I am actively looking for excuses uh, for data that I can use to say okay. it's time to go wide, right? Okay. Yeah. And I, this is what I tell people all the time. If you've got people who are complaining that they can't get your book on another platform, that's a good problem to have. It's probably yep. time to think about going wide. So if I get a few thousand people saying, I really like <laughs> your book, but it's not on Nook, it's not on iBooks, you know, well, I'd you be will a get, Tonight, you will get 100,000 emails. If I do, book. dude, and tomorrow morning, you will be able to buy this book everywhere. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Cool. KDP Select or no KDP Select. All right, man. Um, all right, well, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and wrap up. I, I appreciate you uh, being on, man. I really do. We, I think we're kindred spirits um, in this. For sure. Um, yeah, I, I wish we'd talk more often, but I know we you're will. On No, road. here's the sad part. I said to you, let's talk. Let's let's be buddies. Let's let's, <laughs> let's work together. And I promptly disappeared for like three months. <laughs> it's okay. um, so we'll do that. We will do that. I promise you. But um, we are, and at any rate, where can people find you and uh, things you related online? Well, my website's a good place to start, ErnestMC.net. Uh, there's no A in Ernest, so um, because I'm, I don't do things earnestly, I do, <laughs> I'm just Ernest. So. You have no idea how difficult it's going to be for me to not name this episode the importance of being Ernest Dempsey. You should. I think you should name it that, <laughs> I but leave the A out of Ernest, and then you'll have it. Uh, yes, Oscar Wilde, right? He, uh, he was an interesting character. That was a good story. Well, that's a good story. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, ErnestDempsey.net or go to Facebook.com slash Ernest Dempsey. I have a fan page there and, um, those are the two best places. But if you go to my website, ErnestDempsey.net, there's a link at the top where you can click that and it'll take you to a page where you can sign up to get free books and stuff like that. And, uh, so I give away like four free digital books, um, when Excellent. you sign up. And so, that's fantastic. Uh, that gets you started in this in the series and, and all that. So, all right, man. Okay. Well, uh, on that note, uh, you'll be able to find this, by the way, dear listener and viewer, in the show notes of this episode. So make sure you're looking down below on YouTube uh, and visiting wordslingerpodcast.com for this episode. Uh, don't have a number for you yet, but uh, you'll be able to search Ernest Dempsey and find it. Otherwise, uh, you probably came in from somewhere important like iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or whatever. So uh, hang out, Ernest. Uh, we're going to do the uh, Wordslinger after show uh, cool. for everyone else. Everybody uh, loves an after party. Everybody loves the after party. Uh, is it for, really, is it better than the party itself? It is, it is the party. This is just preamble to the party. So this is a pregame. This, we're this pre is it. This is, we're in the pregame show. Now we're heading into, uh, yeah, we're, we're getting into crunch time now. So um, everybody, you're probably hearing the groovy theme music. You may dance in place at will. And we'll see you on the other side with some announcements and housekeeping. Otherwise, we'll talk to you all next week. Of course, you don't have to wait till next week. You just wait a couple of seconds and the future comes rushing at you. <laughs> um, I hope you enjoyed that interview with uh, with Ernie. I I love Ernie, man. He and I are, are we're very much alike. I, I sometimes get the impression he's a lot cooler than I am. Um, uh, that's probably not a false impression at all. I mean, he's uh, he's got, he's uh, he was apparently in a band at some point. I don't think he may not want me to tell anybody that. Um, <laughs> sorry, Ernie. Um, but you know, he's got. 
these uh, these books of his, you know, he was he's fourteen in, and they're, they're doing great. And I, I'm very impressed with uh, how he's pulling it all together. Um, I, and the, you know, the whole archaeological thriller thing, man. It, I, here's the deal with that uh, for me, at least. I, I it was a life changing uh, kind of thing for me to get into because I, I love telling a good story. Uh, I love uh, the the fantastic stories, of course. Um, but I've always had a love for for history, and I've always had a love for you know the cleverness of humanity. Uh, you know, so I, I created a character who who could be clever uh, in the face of uh, you know. We, uh, strange facts, you know. I try not to do anything supernatural in my books. Um, I'm tempted. I, I'm always tempted. And I may, in the future, I may, uh, I may, I may breach that. <laughs> um, I don't want to go too overboard, but we live in a, a fairly uh, strange and paranormal world. Sometimes uh, it would be kind of interesting to see how Dan Kotler handles uh, handles that sort of thing, but. Uh, maybe in the future, but anyway, uh, you know, archaeological thrillers are kind of this grounded type of story where I get to show off the uh, sort of the strengths of humanity, and I dig that. You know, I, I, I really, I really like that. I like the history of it. I like um, uh, delving into new ideas, new sciences, uh, exploring the world through the eyes of that character. So, uh, I'm kind of grateful to to Ernie for you know helping me figure out what to call it. <laughs> Oh, anyway, all right. Um, that was a great interview. Uh, please check out Ernie's stuff at uh, Ernie, uh, his website, of course, and other places. You can go to uh, uh, it's ErnestDempsey.com, I believe, or ErnestDempsey.net. I knew it was not .com. ErnestDempsey.net. You'll find links to all that in the show notes. You'll also find some links to our we our stories from this week. Um, this week in indie publishing news. So Barnes and Noble has relaunched the Nook Press platform. Um, BN thinks it's, you know, the third time is the charm, basically. <laughs> so they once again rebrand and relaunch their self-publishing platform. Uh, the Barnes & Noble Nook Press platform has has officially been relaunched as a much easier mouthful Barnes & Noble Press, uh, a publishing device that um, will include both... Uh, th- th- this... This will include both ebooks and print on demand, right? The uh, the move is a surprise to practically everyone because uh, most of us had written off Barnes and Noble after rumors and announcements about its Nook platform uh, may, started to sound a little bit like a death knell. Um, <laughs> but hopes and speculation are both on the rise uh, after BN's pre- press release uh, stating that, among other things, they'll be offering an increased royalty rate of sixty five percent, which Actually brings them uh, fairly on par with uh, with Draft to Digital, for example, and others. Um, the, they're getting into uh, that range at least. So, sixty five percent for eBooks priced at ten dollars and above, and the ability to set pre orders for up to twelve months in advance. Now that's new and cool. Um, so I'm wondering if this changes the future of BN. Like, does Barnes and Noble? Uh, do they become a more a better and bigger competitor on the ebook stage? That that's a question I'd like an answer to. <laughs> Some speculation. So uh, feel free to comment uh, on the the, uh, the show notes of this page of this uh, uh, podcast at uh, wordslingerpodcast.com. Let me know. You can hit me with a contact if you want. Uh, 
I'd, I'd be happy to hear your thoughts on this. So the next story is Find Away Voices uh, has become a gateway to Google Play. Uh, Google Play recently announced that they are getting into the audiobook game. They're going to start a catalog there. Find Away actually is the largest audiobook distributor on the planet. And uh, you may remember that Find Away and Draft to Digital partnered on the launch of Voices, uh, which is Find Away's indie publishing arm. Um, <clears throat> so that platform actually gives you some advantages in that you can. Uh, produce and distribute your audiobooks worldwide without any sort of exclusivity arrangement the way that uh, Audible's ACX does. So that's um, that's great news for, this is great news for the indie publishing community, honestly. Uh, one thing that I'm interested in, I want to see where this goes. So draft to digital has had some trouble with getting Google Play to, uh, to basically play ball um, and uh, come back with terms that we can agree to so that we can start distributing ebooks on that platform. So I'm hoping that this will be a gateway um, to help us get in there. But I, I'm really interested. I want to, I'm curious if this is going to mean that uh, indie authors and indie publishers are going to have a much greater presence on Google Play in general and what that's going to do to the industry. So. Again, let me know what you think of that. Uh, you know, is it, what kind of what kind of move do you see this as for uh, Google Play? For uh, I'm glad and congratulations to Kelly Lytle and the bunch at uh, at Findaway. I, this is fantastic news for them. Uh, I'm just very curious to see where this goes. Um, Walmart is in the news for indie publishing. That was unexpected. Uh, Walmart and Rakuten uh, have partnered. Now, initially, they partnered. In order for uh, the, for Walmart to be able to start distributing, delivering rather uh, groceries in Japan, uh, so the two those two major companies uh, formed that partnership. And as part of that partnership, uh, Kobo will now be able to distribute its eBooks and audiobooks to Walmart.com. Now that's a major move. Uh, Kobo was already global; um, they already did have a presence in the U.S. But what this does is allow Kobo to uh, have a much greater presence in the uh, U.S. ebook market, uh, and it also positions Walmart to potentially topple Amazon as the uh, the king of the hill when it comes to ebooks and ebook distribution, and uh, and topple Audible as well. So. Um, now this is this comes by the way in the wake of uh, you know Apple is starting to retool and uh, and approach the ebook market again. We talked about that last week. Um, there are all these major players starting to emerge, and uh, everyone has their sights on Amazon. Now this can't help but be a good thing for indie publishing. Um, this this greater competition among the giants means that we get more windfall and more fruit shaken from the tree. Uh, I, this is my personal take on it, at least. Um, having uh, these companies kind of battle each other means we should be able to negotiate some better terms uh, all around. Now, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to see, seeing what happens. Um, it would be quite interesting for me to be able to point people to Walmart to, uh, to get my books. <laughs> And you know, I mean, if if uh, so, with everybody entering the uh, publishing on demand uh, game, uh, and Kobo uh, having an in with Walmart, uh, so I, I I think it we're not far from the from potentially having the ability to put indie books on Walmart shelves. Um, I think there are going to be some rules, regulations, and uh, 
and best practices involved in uh, the process behind that. And I don't think it's just going to be as simple as clicking a button, but I think it's going to be a potential. I think it's going to be awesome. So let me know. What do you think of that? Is this going? Is this? Uh, is this Walmart and uh, Rakuten? Uh, Man, I'm never going to get that right. Rakuten getting uh, getting involved in such a way that they can take dominance of the market. Let me know. Um, that's it for news this week. I've got uh, those three stories you'll be able to read on the uh, show notes of this page. Um, thank you for being a, a supporter of the show. You're Just by listening, you're being a supporter of the show. So I really appreciate that. You can further support this show by uh, checking out our sponsors, of course, Draft Digital, uh, KD, KDP Rocket. Uh, you can take control, get more readers, increase your Kindle rankings. You can check that out at bit.ly slash KDP Slinger. Um, that's a great tool. I, I, I use that tool regularly. You can also support the show, of course, if you subscribe to us on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, now on YouTube. And, um, of course, on iTunes, if you'll leave a review, just go and click, you know, four or five stars if you feel like it. And uh, drop a note that says, you know, I like listening to the Words on Your Podcast because blank. And, uh, you know, help other people find the show. That's what we're about. I got some, I got some fantastic guests coming up, by the way. <laughs> uh, I don't want to tease one in particular because I haven't actually done the interview yet. The interview is on Monday. Uh, but once that interview is done, uh, I will tease the crap out of it. But I got a uh, major uh, internationally recognized thriller author on the hook, and I'm going to be chatting with him on Monday. So um, unless that falls apart. If that falls apart, I got a little bit of egg on my face. But I'm looking forward to that conversation. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I know you're going to be too. Um you can uh, support the show also on Patreon. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm very close to being able to offer the uh, bonus material. I've got a whole bunch of um, my Wordslinger After Show episodes. I need to jump in, get them edited and polished, and start releasing them uh, onto uh, Patreon. I'm figuring that platform out. i got uh, some things going there. So, uh, you know, for those who support the show financially... You'll be able to have access to that content once it's ready. Um, every dime you throw my way through Patreon gets used in the overhead of the show, so I appreciate your help. Um, pays for hosting, pays for equipment, pays for whatever. So, of course, the best way to support me and my work, of course, always, is to go check out kevintomlinson.com slash books. Uh, my newest Dan Kotler thriller, uh, The Girl in the Mayan Tomb, released last Friday, so... Um, that is available right now on Amazon. You can go check it out. Uh, go to uh, books2read.com, books2read.com slash Mayan-tomb. Uh, and that will take you straight to the, uh, the that book's product page. Um, if you've read it, by the way, leave me a review. I appreciate that. But this, this is probably one of my favorites so far out of these thrillers. Um, uh, th these are getting better. Every time I write a new one, I'm 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 more excited than I was about the last, and this is just just turning into the work of my life. So I, I'm I'm very much uh, enamored of this. <laughs> so um, anyway, thank you so much. We're at a minute and eleven now, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up. We we ran long, um, but I appreciate you hanging around, and I uh, thank you so much for being a part of the Wordslinger podcast. I hope you're getting a lot out of it. Uh, share it with your friends. Uh, share us on social media. Follow us at at WordslingerPod. 
uh, on Twitter. And, uh, of course, the uh, you can go to facebook.com slash wordslingerpodcast. Um, and uh, <clears throat> hop on over to wordslingerpodcast.com and kevintomlinson.com and, and say hello. Um, I'm, I always respond to emails. So thanks a lot. Take care of yourselves out there. God bless each and every one of you. I'll see you all next time. Slinger.